the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. All Hallows Eve, Derek Taylor, and trick or treat, an email from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers has us both bothered because, well, we don't like to read too much into things that we don't know facts about, but part of what we do here on the Blue Bombers podcast is to speculate a little bit. Uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers have signed a wide receiver. And when you're doing that October 31st, probably not good news if one of your star receivers is out with an injury and has a walking boot on, on their left foot. Yeah. This, when I, when I woke up to see the, the Ronnie Blackman move, I went, Oh, okay. Interesting. A guy who's been with them. I hadn't seen the uh, Mark Heath Ambles move. So, uh, they've added Markeith Ambles to the practice roster, a uh, veteran receiver, and then Ronnie Blackman, a guy that they're familiar with from earlier in the season. And you go, okay, well, they've added two receivers. Hmm, okay. And then you look at their depth charts and practice roster listings. Their practice roster was full for that game in week 20. And you go, okay. Well, they cleared it out for the week 21 game to get guys on there, but they had 12 extra bodies, the maximum number. So they add two more, which makes you go in advance of the next game. They have to take two guys and move them from practice roster. Can't really move them to the the game day roster because that's full. So they have to go to injured list or be released. Okay, well, and it's two receivers. And Dalton Schoen's injured. Okay. That's that's not a I, there. I can't imagine how that's a good sign about Dalton Schoen participating in the in the Western final. I can't imagine how it's even a a neutral sign about Dalton Schoen uh, participating in the Western Final. It's it just feels bad. So all season and heading into the season, if you were looking at one position area where the Blue Bombers were going to be strongest, I think we unanimously would have said wide receiver. Fair to say, hundred percent. So with Schoen out. Obviously, Kenny Lawler missed six games to begin the season. His legal issues and his immigration uh, situation up in the air. That gets settled. Um, we knew that when Lawler, Schoen, Bailey, Dembski, Walatarski were on the field, they probably formed the top receiving unit in the CFL. Take Schoen out of the equation, and I'd argue that even though you're losing one of the top two or three receivers in the league in terms of statistics, the Blue Bombers may still have arguably one of the two or three best receiving cores in the league. I think that's fair to say. Like You're losing. Schoen probably would have led the league in receiving this year because you know the guys in BC, they took the week off too, essentially, for that final week. Schoen probably, uh, probably would have led the league in receiving again. So... To be able to replace that is super difficult, but you've got Lawler, uh, who might well be the best receiver in the league. He just doesn't have the numbers this year to to prove that, but he was a first-team All-Star last season. Dembski, career year, 1,000-yard, total total threat all the time, 
And then, yeah, you've you've got other guys. Rashid Bailey, three touchdowns the last two weeks. There's a guy who's got a lot of juice in him. Drew Altarski, Mr. Reliable uh, along the way. Okay, yeah, there's a lot to uh, to still work with there. Uh, one of the, I guess one of the problems is now BC would be another team, probably the the second best receiving core in the league as as the season played out. And you go, well, okay, well now it's longer. Are we are we even with them? Are they we now a little bit behind them? Is it one of the advantages that we've lost over over the uh, the course of the season? I think that's probably the best way to put it. I mean, when you look at Keon Hatcher, Alexander Hollins, Dominic Rhymes, that's that's pretty powerful. And now it's one of the advantages I think they had over BC, all of which in my mind were slight advantages, except maybe quarterback. I. I, now that one tips in BC's favor, and oh, the West Final gets a little more, ner- more nervous for me. A little more nervous now. That's the nervous energy in my voice. I'm a little, I'm a little subdued after this because we basically had a quick discussion about this situation before we pressed record on the podcast this morning. So I'm feeling a little bit subdued, but I'm going to talk it out. This will be like a mini therapy session for us, DT. Yes. And so now I ask the question, I I know the answer. I think I know what you're going to say, but now just how valuable, how important is Rashid Bailey's decision? You mentioned him to stay with Winnipeg for what we believe to be less money than he was offered elsewhere. Massive. Oh man, is it massive? If, if just think about that one, if uh, the report was Calgary offered him more money and interesting that he had his best play of the year in Calgary uh, this past week, if he's not here, you're now going to uh, a, a young American receiver. Maybe they would have kept uh, Carlton Agadosi around. Uh, it would, I mean, at the moment it would be Ravi Alston. Maybe it would be Markeith Ambles fresh to the, fresh to the roster or they make a move for all our ambles a little earlier, but it, it would be someone quite new and not someone who's been with the bombers for a long, long time and brings all the positives that Rashid Bailey does. So it's, it's set for him to be a, a, a big time factor in the playoffs, which when he signed up, like when he resigned, he saw everything that had happened, right? He saw, okay, Dalton shown, and Kane Dollar and Nick Dembski, these guys are all going to get theirs. You know, I'm going to have to be satisfied with what I get after that. Well, the the stage is going to be a little bigger for Rashid Bailey if Dalton Schoen can't play in that West Final and potentially, who knows what the Grey Cup is, but the stage is a little bit bigger for uh, Bailey in the Grey Cup too if they get there. So, you know, and this is this is maybe, you know, we, we go back to this whole conversation about players wanting to be in Winnipeg, the opportunity to win. And so, yeah, just because you're not going to if I'm if I'm having that conversation, if I'm Kyle Walters, if I'm having that discussion with Bailey, I'm obviously dangling playoff and Grey Cup pool money versus what they're going to offer me in Calgary. How certain are you, Rashid, that the Stamps are even going to make the playoffs, let, al- let alone win yep. a game or two? But also, we know that injuries happen, Rashid, and you just have to bide your time. You've been here long enough. You know the philosophy, next man up. And for the most part, the Blue Bombers have been able to weather these storms. And I think we saw a huge example of that as to why on Friday night, when you look at the defense that they trotted out against Calgary, 
understood the circumstances, but the circumstances were the same for both teams Friday night. And that defense made up predominantly of backup players was almost as dominant as you would have anticipated the regular defense being against Calgary in a game that meant everything. It was, it was really good. Hey, like, and whether that's more credit to the bombers or a true indictment of Calgary's future on offense. Oh man, it was, it was a tremendous performance. Did Calgary have 36 offensive plays under 40 offensive plays in that game is a tiny, tiny number, tiny, like tiny man. Exactly, like 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 so small, tiny. You, you can't even say tiny. It's tiny. Um, it's what do you normally get? What are you normally getting in a CFL game if you're you're an offense that moving the ball somewhat? You're getting around a hundred, right? Well, yeah. I guess was it two twenty in total? Probably are. That like game that? had a hundred, but uh, like Adam Big Hill and I have been talking during the season, and he's like, "Man, look at us. We only allowed forty-five offensive plays. He was he was pumping up the tires of the defense for allowing forty-five plays." And they allowed 36. Like 36 is a is a that's a heck of a job by the defense. That is a lot of two and outs and a lot of uh turning stuff away. So uh yeah, super impressive. And yeah, for you gotta love it, you gotta love seeing depth because this is the this is the time where, you know, if in week eleven you have to go to your depth players, okay, cool. But you know, now this is the time of the year where there's no margin for error. So if, if you didn't learn something or you haven't had a chance to practice something, uh, the BC Lions, Calgary Stampeders, and or Toronto Argonauts are not going to care. They're going to exploit it as best they can. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a real plus to have just had that game. I hesitate to use this analogy because there are two very serious real wars going on or more in the world, too, that that, that we're focused on uh, in, a, in our in our country right now. But, you know, sport is a war of attrition, right? The uh, the season is yeah. such. And so the 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 teams that are best prepared for not only that likelihood, that eventuality um, are the teams that fare best. And once again, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. On November 11th, we don't even know who the Blue Bombers are going to play, but I think it's fair for us to suggest that they they are prepared as well or better than any other team in the league to weather something like what we anticipate we're going to see on the 11th in terms of having to juggle the lineup a little bit. Yeah, you make a real good point. Uh, a lot of times you look back at a team season and what, what people or fans think was, man, did we suck this year or we were not as good as I thought, often comes down to who was injured, right? Um, Saskatchewan Rough Fighter fans, man, we were terrible. Yeah, you're on your third quarterback and your star defensive player missed a bunch of time as well. Like, okay, well, that's, that's a lot of injuries. Uh, Hamilton, man, we really seem to surge late in the season. Yeah, because you were brutally injured early in the season. You were down multiple defensive stars and you're on your third quarterback. Ottawa fans this year. Uh, well, we only won four games. We are terrible. Fourth quarterback. I'm, I'm just saying four, fourth quarterback. Missed your middle linebacker for a spell. Like, uh, had some troubles with health on the offensive line. It's a lot of times it just comes down to who's available and who's not. And if you, uh, I've been having the conversation with Ed Tate of the Bombers about, uh, he he's not surprised the the Ottawa Red Blacks finished with four wins because how could you possibly, not how could you possibly, but when you when you uh, hit your wagon to Jeremiah Masoli who just missed a whole season essentially with injury, 
and he's you know he's had injury problems. What do you think is going to happen in this year? Well, okay, well he got injured again pretty quickly. So yeah, it's a, a lot of times it's hey, what were our problems this year? Well, this this didn't happen. This didn't happen. Yeah, that's that's a lot of it's just because the guy was hurt and the wrong guy was hurt at the wrong time. We heard Brady talk about this in his conversation with you, his reaction to being named most outstanding player on the Blue Bombers. And you'll hear players, you'll hear agents, you'll hear general managers and coaches talk about the number one ability is availability. And Brady touched on that, the fact that he's available to go, you know, every single game. And, you know, the best players are the best players, not just because of their talents, DT, but also because of, the shape they keep themselves in, the way they play the game, and they're just they're just ready to go. And the best players, you know, how many games did Tom Brady miss because of injury, despite being basically a sacking or a tackling dummy in a lot of circumstances based on how he plays quarterback? It's just these guys are the best athletes. They're the best players for, the re- for a reason, and they accumulate the statistics they do because they're available to play in the games. 100%, 100% true. And as much as teams say, well, it's the next man up and the next guy has to do the job, by definition, since he is the next guy and not the first guy, by definition, he is not as good a player as the first guy, right? I, I always, right. teams always say one thing, and sometimes fans will say that back to me, and I go, yeah, yeah, but, but the guy that backs him up the starter is not as good as the starter. Almost in almost every case, just because professional coaches have said this guy is the first one and you will be the second one. So yeah, it's 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 a real thing, and you know you have to. It's of no consolation to fans, really. Oh, why why did we miss the playoffs? Well, our quarterback got hurt. Why did we lose seven in a row down the stretch? Well, if our quarterback was healthy, we probably wouldn't have done that. Well. Mm. That's not much of a consolation because you charge me the same amount of money to come see your games. <laughs> well, and the statistics are based on that, that these uh, quarterbacks sell themselves on in free agency. Those are, are based on the games that you play in. And if the team signing the paycheck doesn't realize, oh, that this guy has only played in the last five seasons, he's only played in 40 games. Well, you know, you've made a big mistake. And I think yeah. far too often uh, general managers in their efforts to to make their teams better with, you know, one signing or two or three signings uh, get blinded by the fact that staying healthy and not being injured is as important or more important than anything else. Yeah. Imagine if he could play the whole season. Well, you, that's not a strategy, <laughs> well, yeah. right? Well, we're hopeful. It, Dude, hope. Yeah. hope is not a strategy. And so, and I think that's what I love most. One of the things I love most about how this Blue Bomber team has been built is just you've got football players that play a lot of football. Did they hang their hat on a guy in Zach Caleros who had a history of, of injury and a knocking on wood as I say that out loud? Yeah, absolutely they did. But they also knew what they were getting and they also put them behind the best offensive line in the Canadian Football League. That, that's not That's not magic. It's not a mystery. It's not by accident that Zach Caleros has been able to play the number of games that he's been able to play as a Blue Bomber. Well, and sometimes you have to take that risk, right? And Zach, you know, you could consider Zach might have been a risk at that time because he'd missed, you know, basically all of the 19th season with 
the injuries that we're afraid of, uh, you know, long-term and repeating themselves. So, yeah, uh, well, a guy like Jackson Jeffcoat this year, you know, can they really count on him to to play, you know, more than the 12 games he's played in each of the last four seasons? Well, Jackson did. He played 14, and they chose to sit him out in that final one. So he could have played 15 regular season games plus the playoffs. You go, okay, well, sometimes sometimes you're hoping for it. You, you, you Sometimes you have to trust because – you don't have a better option or sometimes, and that isn't, that isn't Jackson necessarily, but sometimes you don't have a, sometimes you can't afford a better option or uh, a more secure option. So you have to kind of YOLO this salary slot on a guy who, right. oh, if he played, he'd be worth twice this much, but he doesn't play a lot. So let's, let's cross our fingers that uh, our staff can keep him healthy. Well, and the better teams are, have that luxury, right? Of being able to bet on a guy like that. And going absolutely, we, we're no, we know we're going to make the playoffs. Um, we'll only play Jackson when he's healthy, and even better if we can limit the amount of action that he sees in a game. We'll be better off still. Maybe you look at the schedule and you go, mm, and the way our bye weeks work out. Yeah, this is absolutely a risk worth taking, and things have worked out absolutely perfectly to this point as it pertains to Jackson Jeffcoat and and mad, managing what's really been uh, nagging injuries over the last several years. So the better teams, as I started yeah. out by saying, have that luxury of being able to roll the dice on on somebody like that. And, and Jeffcoat would be the guy, right? Like when he is healthy, he creates pressure like nobody else in the Canadian Football League. And he makes so Willie better. That, yeah, absolutely. So that's that's the guy. Like, I don't know if there's – I haven't done this in my head, but if there's one for every team, but that is the guy that, that you go, you know what, if he can only play 12 games again this year, 2023, we're in because, man, we're going to make sure those 12 games, uh, then additionally the playoffs will will happen on top of that. So, yeah, that's, that's the one. But, yeah, it doesn't – and unfortunately, for it doesn't break that way for everybody. And uh, for, I mean, for the Bombers this year, just incredible. Like, like we were talking about late season games where you go, yeah, these are the 24 guys out of training camp they would have wanted starting on offense and defense today. And sure, they were missing Janari and Grant, who would be a, a vital piece. But, you know, no other team can say something really even close to this as teams are moving linebackers to defensive back and going, oh, what? What rookie receiver might we be able to find, or what guy can we pull off the scrap heap and come on in? Like, yeah, it's it, it's been the Bombers were blessed, but uh, just when you look at the moves that they made on on Tuesday, you go, I yeah yeah they're 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 losing one of their it feels like they're losing one of their best players uh, down the stretch here. No question about that, and uh, you know, keep it locked to six eighty CJOB, and we'll we'll have the latest as the Bombers share it. With us. I'm Skylar Peters. Welcome into the film room. We covered a little bit of everything in the first season of this feature memorable comebacks, improbable wins, even heartbreaking losses for the blue and gold. But nothing could quite be compared to this one. And I'll be honest, it's the first idea that my seven remaining brain cells conjured up when I first started thinking about what to feature on this show. Even seven years later, it's hard to imagine this ever happened. Let's wind it back to the winter of 2015-16. 
After two straight losing seasons, GM Kyle Walters got busy with several big-name offensive acquisitions. Andrew Harris, Weston Dressler, and Justin Medlock. And perhaps just a tier below those household names, Dressler's fellow pass-catching teammate in Saskatchewan, Ryan Smith. The new-look squad failed to muster up wins in their first two games of the season, losses to the Alouettes and Stampeders. So the Bombers went into Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton on July 7th, hungry for a win up against a top-tier defense. And on the eight-yard line in the second quarter, trying to add to their 15-7 lead. And here comes pressure off the edge. The pass to Ryan Smith, and it's a Bomber touchdown. Seems average enough as far as CFL touchdowns go. But for everyone aside from maybe five of the 24 players on the field, a second look was needed to understand what just happened. Like Velcro. Well, I mean, Boy, Smith isn't even looking. looking. I can't believe that catch. <laughs> Drew Willie just placed that right in his arm. What do you remember from what's affectionately become known as the glitch catch? The broadcast location at that stadium for the radio crew was very high up. We're a long way from the field, and we're right along the goal line. Fortunately, that play occurred uh, at that end of the field, but it wasn't clear exactly how fortunate he'd been in catching it, catching it. So when Doug Brown and I watched the, the replay on the monitor we had, it looked like the ball was Velcroed to his side when, when he threw it. In the interim, it put the Bombers up by two scores as they looked for their first win of the year. And Smith wasn't disguising his good fortune on the sideline just afterwards. Shout out to Bison Nation. That was for you. Don't know a little catch. Of course, the Bombers still had a little more than a half of football to play. So perhaps the full examination of what just happened couldn't begin until Winnipeg put a bow on their first win of the season, a 28-24 triumph that night. But even as the night wore on in the hammer, the legend was beginning online. Ryan Smith, <laughs> like John earlier reported, I think the ball caught him. Call it lucky, call it magic, call it whatever you want. But the Blue Bombers will just call it a touchdown. And in that meantime, Bob Irving and Doug Brown were trying to dissect that play to this very cast of thousands here on 680 CJOB. The receiver running that route would typically be looking at the quarterback, but not until he was into a certain point in the route. And I, as I remember, Drew Willie had to deliver the ball earlier than he probably wanted to. Uh, was maybe hoping that Smith had turned to look by that point, and he hadn't, but uh, Drew certainly put it on the money. And it wasn't lost on the man calling the game that he still had to break a couple of tackles and cross into the painted grass after being delivered that gift. I wouldn't fault Smith for not looking at that point. He probably, you know, was another step or two away from in the route, you know, from being turning his head to, to look at Drew Willie's. The mood was a little lighter at IG Field as the team made it home and prepared for a Week 4 matchup versus Edmonton later that week. So it afforded both Smith and Coach Mike O'Shea a chance to laugh at what they saw in the film room, the real one, after that game. You know, I got I got pretty lucky in that play, and, you know, Drew put it, on, put it right on the spot. I couldn't ask for, literally, could, literally could not ask for a better ball. Hit me right in the hip. So I would have been in a different stride. Maybe something else happens, but, you know, it happened, got a touchdown and scored. That's all that matters. I don't even know how to describe it when they're, they're talking about uh, kids putting it on their phones and saying it's a glitch, you know, like a matrix type of thing. And there is one replay that I look at that you cannot see the ball coming in and then all of a sudden it appears on his hip. And I equate it to like a Bob Wiley magic trick or something like that. He just uh, conjured the ball onto, onto uh, 
Ryan's hip. Bob Wiley, the Bombers' offensive line coach at the time. And we can't just do a feature about viral clips and have his name come up without referencing this gem from HBO's Hard Knocks during his time with the Cleveland Browns. Shahed! 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 Do it again, my fault. Here we go, I'm not a quarterback. Obviously, you can tell. The 2016 season would be Smith's final one as a professional football player before returning to his home state of North Dakota to pursue a career in law enforcement. But seven and a half years later, his legacy in Winnipeg lives on, whether it be the occasional highlight pack or a nostalgia-fueled conversation headed down memory lane around a campfire or at a bomber's tailgate. Yeah, I would expect Ryan will remember that catch above all else, although the year before in Saskatchewan, he did have almost a thousand yards receiving. None of his catches will be replayed and remembered by fans in general, as well as that one in Hamilton that was Velcroed to his side in a fashion that uh, I don't think we'll ever be able to fully understand or comprehend. I want to talk about Drew Brown. And we had this discussion on air on the on the start on Monday morning. But I continue to be impressed by Drew Brown's poise, his ability to survey a field, not to panic. And I think that the, you know, you always want validation in terms of your sense and your feelings of how a guy, guy's playing. The, there's the eye test is one, one thing, but in hockey in particular, analytics will back you up. The statistic that backs me up on my like of Drew Brown's prowess in the pocket and his, and his patience and his ability to read a defense is nine touchdown passes versus zero <laughs> interceptions. Pretty good, eh? An all-time CFL record for a single season. Most touchdowns thrown without an interception. That's uh, that'll do. That'll do. And it's uh, it's interesting. I'm just going back into uh, his first uh, action, his first real action, and maybe his first action overall was Week 16, the final week of 2021. And I just wanted to see the roster that they put out that day because it feels like. Uh, last year at BC, the Bombers send a reduced roster and let Brown start, and he throws two pick sixes, looks good outside of that, and the Bombers lose. And you go, okay, well, two pick sixes is is pretty rough, but that wasn't the full team. When you see him with the full team, he looks good. And you can give credit to, well, it is one of the best teams in the league, and last year the best team in the league. But he has to hold up his part of that, and his part of that is is the most pivotal one, being the the quarterback. So it, it it's it is super impressive just how he's able to uh, how he's able to slide in and he's not Zach Kalaris. I don't ever want this to come off as I'm saying that Drew Brown is Zach Kalaris, but he does things that Kalaris does, and, and it's like whoa, that's really nice. Look at him throw this ball on the run. Oh, back across his body into a window. Okay, that's really nice. Look at him. Look at him stand up and navigate the pocket when other young quarterbacks, you know, are in the pocket and they kind of wet themselves because things are going bad or they even sniff, you know, oh, that that might be pressure from the, from the middle and they just, oh my God, it's a disaster. Uh, Drew doesn't do that. And, you know, that's, that's really impressive. He is very calm in the pocket. And if you, if you make plays from the pocket and you add in the stuff, you know, outside of structure, you're going to have a real future and you watch Drew and you go, yeah. That's that's pretty good. Oh, and when you're called on in disaster scenarios, you're ready for that too. Oh, okay, I really like that. 
His start in Calgary this year uh, in midseason when Zach had the neck injury, it wasn't perfect. Uh, it was enough to get the win thanks to Demario Houston's interception and a lot of field goals. But, you know, they the Bombers won that game. So you go, okay, well, Drew can work on A, B, and C. But, man, he uh, for a backup quarterback, he brings a, he gives a lot of hope. He gives a lot of hope. And, and yeah, that's kind of all we can ask for, I think, as fans. Yeah, no question. And I will point to the fact that even in the midst of what the Blue Bombers are doing in this last four seasons, I think it's 10 games in a row outside of what we saw on Friday. And perhaps the game here against Calgary, you know, the Bombers, I think, had 10 straight games against Calgary where they were decided by three points or less. Like, that's just the way things happen <laughs> with the Bombers and the Stampeders, regardless of the standings and regardless of the personnel. So I'll throw that out there as a as a disclaimer. And, you know, when you talk about what Brown did in that start at McMahon uh, earlier this year, it was just, a, you know, that's just the way it is, right? Yeah, exactly. It just, some games... Some games, some games are ugly. Some games are pretty, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't pretty, but it uh, it was one of fourteen wins. So that's that's kind of that's other teams will be will be crying to have one of those right when their <laughs> when their starter goes down. No kidding. And uh, you know you could argue that the Bombers very very easily. I, I never look at the games that they won that they could have lost, but in terms of the losses that they could have or should have won, uh, fifteen and three almost guaranteed. They should have been based on what happened in Ottawa, and I think it, you know, for them to be sixteen and two wouldn't have been a surprise either. What do you think of Toronto's sixteen and two? Because we know that the CFL plays this imbalanced schedule. Uh, you know, you'd have a hard time if you're cheering for the Argos, saying, "Oh, Winnipeg, you got to beat up or play Saskatchewan three times this year. You played Calgary." three times this year. Um, didn't Toronto have some four games, some teams that they played four times this year? I think they would have. I'm just checking now. I think they would have had Hamilton four times this season because that's what the league really needs and wants. Yeah, they beat Hamilton four times this year. Mm-hmm. So you got to Did they have get a quarterback? Against... Did they have a real quarterback any of those times? Uh, let's see. I'm assuming in that first one uh but the first one uh would have been bow i think but there's so many of these that would have been yeah as they went down their depth chart be it shields and eventually taylor powell i mean the bombers had to go back and see exactly but yeah four games there a couple eight games against the red blacks so three against the red blacks who were didn't have good results this year and they probably gave it to Montreal a couple times. Montreal was such a three times against Montreal. So there's 10 games against the rest of the East. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Yeah. Montreal, Montreal was so funny, right? 11 and 0 against teams below them, but 0 and 7 against BC, Winnipeg, and Toronto this year. That's <laughs> Montreal was funny. The, the one thing it made me think when Toronto did get to 16 and 2, I thought, man, if they tried in that game against Winnipeg, they might have been seventeen and one. Like that's a game that Toronto <laughs> yeah. could could win, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. If they bring Chad Kelly, sure, they could be seventeen and one and still have gotten a bunch of rest for for their important players. If if uh, Olette stays in that game, he was a monster on those two plays. Yeah, Toronto might have might have conceivably could have won against Winnipeg and they could have won seventeen games this year. Well, maybe they learned something from the Bombers last year, the regular season doesn't really matter it's all about playoffs it's all about the gray cup and 
They hung the banner this year. The Bombers did not. Uh, the whole question now comes down to, you know, what does Toronto have to do to get back to the Grey Cup? Who will they face in the final? And who do you think uh, Winnipeg ultimately ends up facing in the final? Both games, November 11th. So I know Montreal was unbeaten against Hamilton this year, but just watching Hamilton later in the season, I go, man, actually they look they look like they might be a problem. So I'm just going to put it on the line and say it's going to be Hamilton. Hamilton goes to Toronto. We get that matchup for a fifth time. Woo-hoo. And the more I look at this season and go, well, actually if uh, Chad Kelly doesn't get hurt in that game against Calgary, they might have won that one too and gone 18-0 and and I – I'm I'm work I'm building this up in my head probably more than I should, but oh my gosh, uh, the season that Toronto had, and then uh, I mean on the west side, we've all been watching for BC. We've all been I think we've all been wanting BC. We we kind of want this playoff matchup. It was the West final last year. Winnipeg ultimately dominates. Yeah, three matchups this year were incredibly entertaining. Uh, you know the first from the perspective of man, really they. They beat the Bombers 30 to 6. Oh man, the Bombers beat them scoring 50? This is awesome. And then the the third meeting was the game of the year with overtime and the big comeback. And, and so I don't think anybody would mind seeing that one for for a fourth time. I if if Calgary had not played that game that they did against the Bombers, I would think Calgary is going to go into BC and give them a real headache. But man. everything good they did in that win against BC, like a dominant victory against the BC team that was trying to win in week 20, they undid in the game against the Bombers in week 21. And so I, I would have had hope, but I, I kind of lost it watching the Bombers stomp them into the dirt in week 21. I'm looking at Toronto's schedule here, DT, and I'm trying to figure out the last time that they played a game that, you know, genuinely might've meant something to them. In terms of playoff positioning, you could argue they haven't played a real game or a meaningful game since August. Um, just looking at some September of these September 15th, scores, Montreal. Yeah, that's the game that I sort of circle as well as the last time where they were they were in it, right? They, they beat Montreal 23-20. Uh, they had to work to do it. That's a long time in between meaningful games. And and I, I think that might have been part of the challenge for the Bombers these last two seasons and why you maybe saw them struggle against Sask in the West Final two years ago. I thought they were really good against BC last year in the West Final against BC. Uh, we, we know that Nathan Rourke wasn't 100%. That probably played into that. But outside, yep. I think outside of the first drive when BC moved the ball pretty well against the Bombers. The, the Blue Bomber defense shut down BC. Um, but do you think that, that there's any correlation there, just this idea of of not having to play tooth and nail football for weeks at a time? I generally push back on, on rust being a thing because, you know, it, it's interesting. When, it, when it's in the regular season and they have a week off, what do we expect on the other side of it? them to just come back and stomp teams out, right? Oh, they're rested up from the bye week. Let's go. They're going to win. It's one but week, in the playoffs, man. we treat and it that's differently. That's one week, though. Toronto, like, we're going September I to see. October, October. Like, you're going six weeks without a meaningful game for Toronto. Yeah, that's – okay, yeah. Okay, now I understand. Yeah, I, I get that. But, I mean, 
they were able to to rest AJ Olette and get you know try to make sure he's healthy, but give him you know keep him in practice and and give him spice him into into games. Chad Kelly took the the Winnipeg game off with five games to go, and you know played a fair bit down the stretch. They made sure to get Cameron Dukes a bunch of reps as well. Yeah, um, he was pretty good this past weekend. He, yeah, <laughs> helping uh, yeah helping them to the win. It's yeah, it's it's so interesting because. It's rare that a team has that much time to play with. So when I look at what Ryan Dinwiddie and his staff kind of chose to do, I go, I get it. The most important thing to me by far is that you be healthy. Sure. Into the into the playoffs, right? right? And so if you can ensure that Chad Kelly's healthy, if you can ensure that AJ Olette's healthy, if you can ensure that the offensive line, your rush, your rush cut your and your coverage players are healthy, that's your that's your best chance. You just kind of you just have to trust that professional football players know what to do to be ready for a game. And nobody's taking the, like for them, nobody's taking the East final lightly. No, no bombers taking the West final lightly. They, they know where the mountaintop is and that it goes through there. And even if it's a, you know, even if Toronto comes out that game and, and looks a little sluggish or whatever, uh, it's, they know, they know, and they should be so good that it, that it, you know, you mentioned the 21 West final, the Bombers turn it over five times at the half and trail at the half and six times in total and still beat the the riders. You go, yeah, that's, that's the kind of team that Toronto is this year of yeah. Six turnovers. Yeah. That, that wasn't great, but we still won by a score, right? That's, that's what they should be expecting it. That, that amount of skill and that amount of good play buys you a lot of, uh, a lot of wiggle room in a, in a one game playoff to get to the great cup. All that to say, I think for the most part, Blue Bomber fans have been trying to dig, find holes in that 16-2 and two or whatever the Argos have been throughout the season each weekend going, ah, they're not as good as their record. They're not as good as their record. They're not as But they're a good team, and we'll have time to talk about them, I suspect, over the next couple of weeks here. But um, Toronto Argonauts, very, very good. What's? Let me ask you this, G-Mac. Uh with all the records the way they were, who was the worst team in the CFL? Because I have an answer that might be popular and uh, <laughs> and may surprise you. Um, my inclination is always to say Saskatchewan, whether they were sixteen and two or two and sixteen. Like it wasn't Edmonton. I don't think it was Ottawa because you outlined their quarterback uh, situation. But Saskatchewan went to their third two. Um, Saskatchewan had the worst point differential in the CFL. Oh, there we go. Calgary was Calgary was a six-win team that gave up 59 more points than they scored. Okay. Saskatchewan was a six-win team that gave up 164 points more than they scored. That's <laughs> Saskatchewan like uh the Red Blacks it was only the difference was only 92 points. Uh Hamilton 8 and 10 was only 53 points. Saskatchewan got murdidly ordered <laughs> this season and uh yeah three uh, you know that one of those was a, they actually won one against the bombers and then got uh beat down boulevard a couple times so rough riders um did the right thing by maybe <laughs> trying to stir things up in uh in regina i didn't realize the point differential i knew that calgary's point differential uh 
completely was the antithesis or or was close to the antithesis of their of the record but the Saskatchewan boy oh boy yeah the games they won were by the skin of their teeth and the games they lost they got clobbered is basically what you're saying yeah and and what you see year over year is that one win one score wins there there's i mean there's a great deal of luck that goes into that sure so year over year if you win a lot of one score games one year it's not a skill thing to win one score games. It's there's a lot of luck involved. So the next year you tend to win fewer games and you, you tend to certainly win fewer one score games as well. Um, oh, actually, wow. Saskatchewan was, was minus three in one score games this year. One, four and in, in uh, but, 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 oh, pardon me. They were uh, plus two this year in one score games. So six and four in one score games. So they had a little luck in their favor to get to six wins. Uh, Calgary for their part, uh, was three and seven in one score game, so they did not have right. luck in their favor at all. Right. Well, that's why I think I think this Calgary game, Calgary BC, uh, shapes up maybe a little bit better than we think. I know you're not a Jake Meyer uh, fan necessarily. Oh. In fact, you may be the opposite of that. But I think you know uh, Michael Alway saw what he was doing. Ben, how many tackles did he end up with Friday night against the Bombers? I mean. Uh, the guy is a tackling machine. The Calgary defense, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Is it? Cam Judge is, I mean, Judge is a stud. He was the guy I picked uh, as one of the linebackers on my West All-Star team because that just makes plays, like makes big plays. And and always the kind of the street sweeper in the middle Trey that Robeson's Darnell back. Sankey was before. Yeah, Roberson's back. Moxie's back. Uh, so... They've had some. They've had some hits, especially up front. Um, I mean, free agency did not do them any favors. But yeah, like they uh, they do have some players on that defense. It just if if you're if you're a Calgary fan or you're you're a Calgary fearer, it's just not what it what it used to be. And this season was kind of the oh yeah, we need to. I know we made the playoffs for the 18th yeah. straight year or whatever yeah, it was, yeah. but we need to reevaluate how we approach these things. All right. Well, we'll see what happens on Saturday. What do you think of the Saturday playoff games? Love it. Yeah, I love do it too. Keep it. Would you move the Great Cup to a Saturday if you were in charge? Oh, wow. That would be a titanic move. I would need to see significant benefits over a long stretch uh, of of the playoffs being on a Saturday before I contemplate that because it's Great Cup Sunday. Right, it's it, it's always been Grey Cup Sunday for as long as long as I remember, and I yeah, assume was, as long I as I've been I think it was Saturday. Alive. I think they think they did Saturday back in the sixties. Uh, I'll okay. double check on that, but I I have a feeling that uh, my my friend Jeff McWinnie would back me up on that. I'm I'm certain that Brett McGarry and I have done the research on that. That uh, okay. Saturday was a Grey Cup day once upon a time. I mean, a long time ago, before y- you or I were born. So it would be a titanic shift. But I like the idea of the Saturday games. We had Wade Miller on Breakfast at the Bombers with us this morning and just said, you know, uh, I think people like the idea of waking up on a Sunday morning after being at a playoff game versus having to go to work the next day. So it may allow you to have a little bit more fun on Saturday night. And so why why might not the same logic apply to the Grey Cup? I know if I'm a host city, uh, you know, I'm losing that probably that one night of hotels. 
So my economic impact, maybe not what it has been, could be, or should be, but the idea of having Sunday as your getaway day and maybe that bleeding into Monday, eh, I, I think I might be able to be sold on it. Well, I think from the hotel thing, you would just move it up. Like you would just be moving that up a day, right? If a fan would normally come on Wednesday and leave on the Monday, well, now I want to be there on Tuesday because every event would have to move up. Sure. The player awards, not on Thursday, they'd be on Wednesday now. And, you know, Dave Naylor's party would move up a day and stuff like, you know, Grey Cup, important stuff. To important stuff, yes. Would, yeah, would would move up to fans. Naylor's party is pretty, uh, pretty important for those of us on this side, but everything would kind of move up a day. And Sunday, you'd get to travel back, and you'd be back to work on Monday instead of Tuesday or whatever it is for folks who uh, who kind of make the annual voyage to the Grey Cup. So I I think you could absolutely do it, and you would avoid, you know, I there's based on the ratings, there's probably, you're probably not losing a lot of fans to the NFL on Grey Cup Sunday. But if you can have that day to yourself, and you've seen the benefits of the playoffs being on Saturday... I would absolutely be in favor of that. I, I'm not so tied to the particular day of the week. I'm tied to the game, and if sure. it makes the game bigger, bring it on. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure that the, in the past there have been concerned about going up against Hockey Night in Canada, but when you measure, you know, CFL TV numbers versus those of Hockey Night in Canada and the hockey in general, the numbers are really strong television-wise, right? Those 450 to six, 700,000 viewers uh, competes with a lot, unless it's Montreal and Toronto on Hockey Night in Canada. Those numbers are very, very comparable. So I don't think that's necessarily a concern. If you're going against the NFL numbers, well, we know what a beast that is there. But before we go, I want to just quickly compare... You know, they're saying this is going to be the one of the lowest rated World Series of all time. Uh, Texas versus Arizona, about 9 million viewers for a game three on the Monday night. And when you compare that with 5 million roughly viewers for the Grey Cup, that really tells you the CFL and the Grey Cup really continues to hold its own in terms of television viewers. It. It absolutely does, and it's it's such a I mean it's such a big deal. It's uh, I just love the Great Cup. I love the Great Cup in all its forms, even on icy fields in Edmonton where Calgary and Ottawa have zero traction. I still love it. Uh, when Shania Twain comes out on her dog sled in 2017, <laughs> yes. I love it. Uh, all of it. I just I'm a, I'm a huge fan of of all of it, and I mean the CFL. It's not it, that doesn't come for free, right? You have to keep working at it. And the lineup that Hamilton is putting out this year, uh, as far as talent, that's that's a really nice job that they're doing as they finally get a, to host a great cup for real. So, right. yeah, I big fan, big, big, big fan. All right, lots of time to talk about all these things in greater detail. DT, thanks for this and uh, look forward to setting up. The West Final, next time we chat uh, a week hence. Uh, this is, uh, it's really coming down to the nitty gritty. It's getting exciting, but it's also getting extremely nerve wracking. I'm going to probably start losing sleep about this time next week. Hoping for a miracle on Dalton Schoen. That's, uh, that's what I'm doing between now and next Sunday, next Saturday. All right, DT, thanks for this. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to 
the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us. 